Welcome to the Success by Design podcast, where we teach professional women to achieve success on their own terms. In a world that often tells us we're not enough and that success requires sacrificing our well-being, we're here to challenge that narrative. Our podcast teaches you how to close your confidence gap, avoid burnout and overwhelm, and navigate demanding careers without sacrificing your personal life. We provide actionable strategies and insights to help you boost your peace, your potential, and your paycheck. Subscribe and review our podcast today, and let's start designing the life you deserve. Hello, family, and welcome to the Success by Design podcast. I am so, so excited because we have a gift with us today. We have Joyce Odideson, and Joyce is the president and CEO of Interpersonal Wellness Services. She is the founder of the annual Global Workplace Wellness Summit. She's a sought-after international keynote speaker, and she talks about conflict analysis. She's a master certified coach. She's a DE&I consultant and a well-being expert. Need I say more? Joyce, welcome so much to our show. Wow. Thank you, Haley, for welcoming me and inviting me to be on your show. Love it. And oh, I forgot to add, she is also the author of six books. Can we give her a round of applause for that? Six books. I've just written one book. You know, when I saw you were the author of six books, I said, Joyce, come on. For just one second, tell us, how did you come up with the concept? How was the process of going through and writing these six books? What was that like for you? You know, that's an interesting question because nobody sits down and say, I'm going to write six books. It's unheard of. So my work leads me. I've always stayed open and tuned into doing the work that I'm called to do. And Interpersonal Wellness Services was given to me. And I have two grown adult children, but they grew up alongside Interpersonal Wellness Services. Now that they've left the house, I'm like, you know, I now have one more child. <laughs> it's Interpersonal Wellness. But as I work with, and my work has been providing frameworks and services and tools for organizations to develop high-level interpersonal skills. So when we tie that into well-being, every time and every level that my business moved into, a book was produced. So it wasn't that I started out to write one book or to write 10 books. And, and, and I, I know I'll write more than 10 books, but the books align with different stages of the business. And when we started, I was doing divorce mediation when I started my business and the client had a heart attack in my office. And I said, no, 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 we got to do something different. We can't bring people raw to the table where their emotions are so, and they have that visceral energy and they want to attack each other around the table and giving themselves a heart attack. And my first book was the birthing of pre-mediation concept. It was a coaching concept that happened before mediation, where you got people to start thinking about what do I want to do? What do I want to do in this meeting? How am I going to manage my emotions? What, what emotions am I actually feeling? And in that process, we would coach the clients into managing their expectations when they come to the table and what coming to the table meant and what negotiation was and what mediation was. So that was my first book back in, I think that was in 2004 or 2000, yeah, 2004. And so when I moved from doing just mediation with uh, couples and uh, divorce mediation, and I took my work corporate. And so 
when I did that, another book came through. So when I birthed the wellness holistic system, that brought forth another book. When we created the assessment that goes behind the, the nine dimensions of well-being, that created another book. I'm a conflict analyst. That's my training as a lenses through which I see the world. I'm always looking at, so when I go in to analyze what is the conflict and where is it coming from? So that gave birth to the book, my sixth book. And I remember that book was, uh, what is it? Hurt, Upset, Angry, Frustrated. So there's always a book that comes and now I'm writing my seventh book and it's on the well-being intelligence competencies that we've been teaching and, and now we're launching the entire curriculum. So each book represents another stage of growth and services and frameworks that we're using to support our clients. That is amazing. I agree. There's something about your journey that I'm curious about. So this client came into your office for a very specific request or for a specific service. And then he has a heart attack. You turn around, created a whole company out of this. And I want to talk to you about that company, specifically about the well-being intelligence curriculum that is coming out very soon and all the process and the system that is behind that. So talk to us about what does that mean? What is a well-being intelligence curriculum and what's the model about it? That's a good question, Gugisha, because the well-being intelligence is a curriculum is based on a nine dimensions of program. So it's a framework of nine dimensions of well-being. So we look at spiritual well-being, we look at social well-being, and you can see the model. I keep it as a backdrop in my office. And just to remind me, but everybody who works with me know when we work with you, we're looking at you from a holistic perspective, the whole being. So we look at spiritual, social, emotional, we look at occupational, we go in into intellectual, we go into environmental, we go into financial, we go into physical, and then we carve into the interpersonal because everything that happens in our life has an interpersonal aspect to it, a, a, an aspect we engage and where we will talk to people and we will share or, or we will vent or we will express ourselves in a manner that is pleasant or unpleasant based on what we're experiencing in our world. So that is so key and something sometimes I think many of us are not aware of. And I believe one of my gifts or my my purpose on the planet is to remind us that this is what we do. And there is no like, I'm happy, but if someone comes by and they say, you know, how are you? And I was like, I'm doing really good. But you can know that something is going on, right? And because we're interpersonal, we're humans, we're social beings. And that is the foundation. And on top of this foundation, when we were working with clients, so we had clients who were coming in and organizations who bought it. You know, I have to share this story before I go into the competencies. When I started this model, I was terribly nervous because here was I, I live in Canada, central Canada. And here was I, this little brown woman going into organizations, telling them that they need to add spiritual as one of the dimensions for workplace well-being. I was terrified. I had nuts in my stomach. I was like, oh, now they're going to kick me out. Oh, have mercy. Now she's done it. But I was seeing, and I knew that most of the employees who were coming, who were having conflicts, who couldn't get along with their bosses, who couldn't get along with coworkers, who were being fired, let go, who were being, you know, getting in trouble at work, who were having the complaints and who were the bullies and the harassers and some of the ones who were encountering challenges at work were not doing well. And in spiritual wellness, we look at things like self-esteem, balance, vision, purpose. 
And to me, spiritual well-being was an entire dimension. Religion is just one aspect of spiritual well-being. And so I wanted to make that very clear to organizations that when we talk about spiritual well-being and the need, because organizations spend billions every year doing leadership assessment, self-assessment, this assessment. Let's see how this person is going to fit. Will they be a good team member? What you're testing really is that person's spiritual well-being their ability to connect with themselves, their self-esteem, their their sense, their values, core values, the ability to reflect on who they are. And so I put this model together based on what I was seeing from the conflicts that were coming. And it really came from a practical perspective. But when I did my master's and back when I did my BA as a sociologist, I understand the social connection to human behavior. And I started looking at the disciplines and coming up with an interdisciplinary process for this. And so the book around this and and all the content and, and the curriculum was designed to move people to a broader view of wellness and well-being. And then I started to notice what are they developing as they get better spiritually, socially, emotionally? We're teaching them skills and competencies. So I added the competencies and we've been working and refining the competencies and we've built the nine competencies curriculum that supports the well-being intelligence process. And so we say wellness is no longer something that you have a committee in your organization doing, and it's the program that people go to if they choose to. It should be integrated into every element of the organization so that even if I don't know or think I need wellness, it is part of the environment I work in. So I'm going to get it just from being at this workplace. Oh my goodness. Hearing that is so true. We talked about this in previous discussions of how wellness is so important, especially today and in the workplace. As you mentioned, people have so many things going on and behaviors and bad behaviors. And a lot of times it stems from their well-being, their interpersonal wellness, as you talk about. So when you go into organizations to work with them, how do you incorporate your program and your curriculum with organizations when they bring you in? Well, you know, it started maybe about a decade ago. I noticed that people would say, oh, we have low morale. Oh, we have employees are not engaged. Oh, this. And so part of what I did as I started the curriculum was to say, okay, we need one for leaders because you know what they say, certain things fall down. <laughs> and if, if it's bad on top, it's just going to fall down all the way. So we created the first piece of the curriculum we pulled out was the relational leadership program. And in there, we created a 12 modules that are based around helping leaders to develop these competencies so they can lead from a place of admiration, a place where they have authority, but not based on bullying others. But the authority comes from the ability to relate with the employees and to facilitate an atmosphere of well-being and relational within the organization and collaboration within the team. Because many leaders struggle with that. They get promoted into a leadership role just because they have good entrepreneurial school skills, not necessarily because they have an ability to lead others. And so many of them are left out hanging dry with no skills. I had a leader come to me once and he said, I don't want to be a leader. I want to be a team member. And I got promoted into a leadership role. And I was told that I would be given support. I would be given mentoring. I've been given coaching. And it's a year into, and I have none of that. And my friends who were the team members are now no longer talking to me. And he gave me an example. He said, Joyce, in our team, we had this process where when I have a baby and my baby, I'll grow the clothes, I'll pass it on to the next person. And we really gelled. And 
he said, I get up this morning and the baby clothes that I gave to one of my team members was on my step because now I'm the leader. They don't want to have anything to do with it. And he said, no, I don't want that. I want to be part of the team. I want to be good at what I do, but I don't want leadership to muck up my friendships. And you have to ask yourself, and that comes back to spiritual well-being. You have to be grounded. You have to know your values. You have to have vision and purpose for you to say, this is what I want. Because if you can't say, this is what I want, then you're stuck becoming who others want you to be. And he was getting a lot of pressure from the leaders in the organization, the executives that they wanted him to be a leader. And he thought, okay, I'm going to please them. And he did not like where he ended up in that mid, you know, being sandwiched. Mid-level leaders are struggling. And so with the Relational Leadership Program, we help them to quit the struggle. (laughs) We're like, okay, (laughs) you do not have to suffer in this position. Here's how how you execute. Here's how you claim the role that you have. If you choose to be here and if you don't want, you can exit from it. You're not stuck. And many leaders will say to me, Joyce, I feel stuck. Now I'm in leadership. What should I do? And some of them were getting penalized. They were getting problems because they wanted to have their friends and they will be accused of favoritism because they still want to maintain some friends because it's lonely and tough. Leadership is a lonely place. Nobody tells you that when you apply for leadership. You just find yourself there and experiencing these things and you're like, no, 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 my gosh. So I have to keep these friends. So now favoritism because, oh, he only gives it to his friends. And it's a vicious cycle. Then people you worked with, you know, have to tell them, hey, you're not doing your work. It's uncomfortable. So how do you get to that place where you can relate to those on top when they tell you nonsense? (laughs) Because they do at times, they come up with very unreasonable expectations. How do you engage them in dialogue? How do you coach up to say, tell me how you envision that happening? Tell me what you would like me to move from my priority list so we can execute on that. Can we agree on what needs to be done first and what needs to take the back seat? And how can I message this to my team and how can I manage my team's well-being as we go through this very critical time in the business? And these are the types of conversations we need to have because we are humans and I am so tired of us acting like we are machines. We are not machines. We have the same DNA strand they had a hundred years ago. What we've done, we've moved away from horse and buggies. We now have electricity. We have the speed of light. We're going to space all of the same DNA machine. We have more stress. Things are more expensive. We have multiple families. Our lives are completely changed on the same DNA strand. So what's happening is that we're cracking. We're becoming ill. Younger people are having disease of the old people that they should have had in their nineties. They're ending up with it and they haven't taught us how to take care of ourselves how to eat less stressful food. Actually, we have more junk food ever accessible to us. So we have not been taught how to live to survive in this digital age. And that's where the well-being curriculum comes in. Wow. Are your fingers tired? I know mine are. I was taking so many notes as I was listening to Joyce. She dropped so many good nuggets and good points that I can definitely apply going forward. Thank you so much, Joyce. But this is only part one. Join us next week for part two of our conversation with Joyce as we talk and learn more about her well-being curriculum. So family, I leave you all today and I want to remind you, as always, you have the power to create the life you want. So go out there and intentionally design your success today. Thanks so much for listening and we'll see you next time on the Success by Design podcast. That's it for this episode. And as always, you have the power to create the life you want. 
So go out there and intentionally design your success today. Thank you so much for listening. And we hope you'll join us again next time on the Success by Design podcast.